This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Pretty, 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 pretty good. What's up, podcast people? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 2nd, 2018. On today's show, I talked to a guy I've been looking forward to having on this show for quite a while now, but not that long because I only launched a few months ago, but long enough. I got one of the guys that I think is a true rising star in the sports media world, and I know that may be a corny selection of phrasing, but I really do mean it. Matthew Fairborn of NewYorkUpstate.com has been covering the Buffalo Bills for the past few years now, and he's really started to establish himself as one of those great NFL writers in the game today. Equally important, at least as far as I'm concerned anyway, because I'm such a podcast enthusiast, he's the co-host of the Bills Beat Podcast with Joe Biscaglia. Not only is that the best Bills podcast you'll find anywhere on the net, but there's not even a close second either. Seriously, nothing even comes close to that when it comes to a Buffalo Bills podcast. It's that good. If you want Bills information and quality discussions and you're not listening, I don't even know what I can tell you. Anyway, I spend over a full hour talking to Matthew and by design, less than 20 minutes of our interview was actually talking about the current Buffalo Bills roster and the draft. That stuff's already out there. I didn't want to spend a lot of time rehashing stuff that you've probably heard already. So instead, as I've done with some of the best sports writers in the Buffalo market that I've had on this show recently, guys like Sal Capaccio, Tim Graham, Jay Skirtsky, Tyler Dunn, and Mike Harrington, I spent more time getting to know Matthew on a more human interest and personal level. Thought that'd be something different and fun for you all. Most Bills fans are familiar with his work, but I thought it'd be pretty cool to talk about his journey to what got him to where he's at today, going from growing up in Massachusetts to going to college at the University of Missouri, and some of the gigs, big and small, that he's taken along the way that's really helped him hone his craft, so to speak. We talk about relocating to Buffalo, the relationship between the media, what life on the road is like, and many other things like that. And yes, we do talk about the Buffalo Bills and the NFL Draft, and he has a lot to say about Josh Allen. Know somebody who covered the team at Wyoming 
So he has some really good insights on him. He talks about an improved Bills defense in a 2018 season that Matt thinks can be much better than a lot of skeptics think. So I'm not going to waste any more time at all here. This is my extended interview with Matthew Fairborn from NewYorkUpstate.com and co-host of the Bills Beat Podcast. My guest today is one of the true risers in the Western New York sports media. He's a Buffalo Bills beat reporter from New York State, NewYorkUpstate.com, I'm sorry. And along with Joe Biscaglia is co-host of literally the best Bills podcast there is on the net, The Bills Beat. Welcome to the podcast, Matthew Fairborn. Matt, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, great thrill. Great thrill for sure. I want to start with that podcast. I got to say this, and I don't want to, I'm not here to stroke your ego or anything like that, but I consider myself sort of a podcast enthusiast. I listen to all types of podcasts. I really mean this. The job you and Joe do on the Bills beat, it's hands down the best Bills podcast there is. There's not anything that's even close as far as I'm concerned. And it's one of the best podcasts, sports podcasts, period. If anyone out there hasn't listened to it yet, you're crazy if you're not listening. No, I really appreciate you saying that. It's been uh it's been a fun a fun, you know, change of pace from all the writing, you know. Uh I think I, I had a podcast like a I think it was a couple seasons ago now that I did on my own and Joe was doing one on his own and you know, at one point I think before last season I just said, you know, why don't we do one together? And you know, it, we have all these conversations in the media room on the road and, you know, have all these great conversations. We're really good friends. Actually our, my fiance and his girlfriend have been friends forever. So, um, you know, we live right, you know, a few buildings down from each other in the same apartment complex. So it just made a ton of sense for us to, you know, take those conversations and, and, you know, kind of record them and, and let people enjoy them. And it's been kind of crazy for me to, I mean, Joe's used to it, you know, going out in public and having people notice him. But, um, you know, when we're out and about and, you know, people see us, they, they mention the podcast. So it's always kind of cool to, to see that people enjoy it because, you know, we have a lot of fun doing it. How do you feel about podcasting? Is it something that you enjoy doing? Obviously it's something really different than, you know, sports writing all the time. How do you feel about it? I enjoy it a lot, actually. Um, you know, I, before I covered the bills, I worked at SB nation and did some NFL draft stuff with them. And, you know, one of the, the best things that we did uh, was doing the podcast, me and Dan Kadar, uh, same thing, you know, stuff we would talk about anyways. And it was like, Hey, at the very least we're, we're enjoying this, you know, we're having fun. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's a, a fun medium. I'm like you, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts and, you know, I, I prefer it usually, to radio because it's just kind of on demand and right. I can pick and choose which episodes, you know, I, there's not too many podcasts that I listen to every episode, but there's usually ones where I pick and choose. And, uh, you know, I like that aspect of it. And, you know, I think for people, uh, you know, following a specific sports team, it, it seems like a really good medium to me just because same thing, you know, you can get it when you want it. And we try to make it so that, you know, Monday morning or late Sunday night after a game, there's always an episode. Same thing with the draft. We, we were up until 
God knows what hour on Thursday night, making sure on Friday morning people had, you know, our thoughts on, on the picks and things like that. So it's fun. It's a really fun way, I think, to connect to, to the readers because, and the listeners, I guess, in that case, because, and otherwise, you know, you're just reading my words or following me on Twitter. You might not, you know, get the same insight into kind of my personality and, and things like that. So it, and it helps you, you know, in writing, I find, because it really helps me clear my thoughts and kind of organize them. And then once I sit down to write, I've already kind of worked through my opinions and analysis and it, it all comes out a lot easier. Sure. And you guys have become absolute must listen when it comes to Buffalo Bills. Now you guys are on the iTunes chart. I saw that last week. And actually, before I talked to you again today, I, I checked again. How does that feel? I mean, I know it's, you know, it, it could be a weird system and all that, but at the end of the day, iTunes or Apple podcast. No, I apologize. Not iTunes, but you look and you see your name on that. That's gotta be an amazing feeling, especially when you look at some of the guys who are on that list with you guys like Adam Schefter, Ross Tucker, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, all these guys that have you and Joe associated on that list with them. That's gotta be a great feeling knowing that your work, that all the stuff that you're putting into it, clearly it's worth it. Yeah, that was pretty wild when uh, we hadn't seen that until you sent us that tweet. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, we got a new channel uh, last week because we needed to switch something up with the RSS feed. And so that probably helped. You know, we had all the people that usually listen, go over and subscribe. But that alone was cool. You know, how many especially nowadays, you know, a lot of people have podcasts and, you know, people probably see links tweeted out a lot and, and things like that. And, you know, to have people actually, you know, when you say, hey, we got a new channel, if you want to subscribe to see that a bunch of people actually did it and, you know, to go on the new iTunes page and it's already got, you know, you know, 50 reviews and comments and whatever. uh, It's pretty cool because, you know, those people have sort of, you know, become like a a little following for us. And uh, like I said, you know, we see some of these people out, uh, you know, when we're out and about uh, having dinner or drinks at a bar or whatever, we were out bowling a, a couple months ago. And, you know, the guy that was fixing the, the lane was a guy that listened to the podcast right. asking us what, <laughs> what we thought about stuff. So, you know, like I said, somebody like Joe and some other guys in town probably have that happen to them all the time. For me, you know, that's kind of a, a rare thing. So it's it's always cool to see that that people are enjoying what you're doing. Like I said, we enjoy doing it. So you know, we'd probably do it whether we were, you know, high up on the iTunes chart or not. But to know that, you know, when we post an episode and look a couple hours later and a few thousand people have listened to it, it's kind of a a crazy feeling. It's got to be a great feeling. And you guys were up to 15 last week. And I know what you're saying when you switch a channel, that that might affect it a little bit. But I mean, more than a week later, a couple episodes later, like I said, I just checked before I called you for this interview. You guys are still up there. So people are definitely listening and they're definitely enjoying it. Now, you mentioned that people are starting to come up to you more and more, you know, not just because of the running, but now because of the podcast. Is that a different feeling for you? Is it a little weird to you that, uh, you know, you might be at a bar or restaurant. You're starting to get a lot more recognized around town. Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, it, to me, it just says a lot about Buffalo that, you know, I mean, I don't work at, you know, the biggest outlet in town or I'm not on TV very often, not on GR. But the way people consume the bills around here, I mean, I think that's, you know, a perfect example of it. I mean, what, you know, when we were down in Jacksonville and we, we actually did an episode of the podcast, you know, live from the, uh, the bills backer bar down there, the party before the game, right. 
you know, that was really cool because, you know, a lot, there was all these people waiting for us, basically, because we sent a tweet out that we were going to be there. So it's definitely different, you know, for me. And uh, it's it's really a testament to, to Bill's fans and the way they just eat up every little bit about their team and, uh, you know, how they consume all the news. It's it's a unique bunch. And, you know, having I didn't grow up here and hadn't even been here before I took the job. So that was all new to me. You only hear about the fans. But when you're you're actually here, uh, you know, Buffalo becomes kind of a small a small place where you start to recognize people. And when I came here, I didn't know anybody. So uh, when people recognize me or want to, you know, have a conversation, I'm always happy to do it because it, it means, you know, people are taking an interest in what I do, which is just an added bonus. You know, obviously, you know, the, the job I do is, is one that a lot of people would love to do. And, uh, I never, you know, really take that for granted. And especially when, when people come up to me and want to talk, it's like, you know, that's, that's kind of a cool feeling when it's more than just your, your buddies, you know, wanting to pick your brain. Right. And it's actually, you know, random people. Uh, that's kind of a cool thing. Now let's backtrack a little bit here because you mentioned you're not originally from the Buffalo area. You grew up in Massachusetts, correct? That's correct. About 30, 30 minutes north of Boston with no traffic. So never 30 minutes, but it, right near the New Hampshire border. You grew up, I'm assuming, a Bruins fan, a, a Patriots fan, a Red Sox fan. Is that true? Actually, it's not. Uh, no? Kind of a, a funny a funny story is that I grew up a Jaguars fan, a Flyers fan. Wow. And I was a Diamondbacks fan in baseball growing up. I didn't. I sort of rooted for the Celtics, but was never really into basketball. But yeah, I picked all random teams uh, for different random reasons. You know, when I was growing, when I was starting to get into sports, um, the Jaguars and Diamondbacks were relatively new. My dad was a Cowboys fan. My brother was a 49ers fan. So I thought, you know, I get to just pick whatever team, you know, that's (laughs) how I thought it worked. And so that's what I did. And (laughs) In the process, I missed out on countless, uh, you know, titles from, you know, the hometown teams. I think the one I got to enjoy was the Diamondbacks winning the World Series in 2001. Other than that, it was it was not a, a very good decision on my part. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I don't think I've ever talked to a Diamondbacks fan before. Now, I had Tyler Dunn on here not too long ago, and he's like, he was obsessed with the Charlotte Hornets growing up, you know, in Olean, which is, you know, nearby Buffalo. It's weird. I like that though. Yeah, the, the the Diamondback the Diamondbacks thing was actually the stupidest one of all of them because <laughs> uh, they had a I don't know if you remember Matt Williams. Oh yeah, the, yeah. So my middle name is Williams. So as like a seven year old, I thought it was cool that they had a guy named Matt Williams, and I was like, <laughs> well, that's going to be my favorite team now. And you know, I liked you know Randy Johnson, probably my favorite player of all time. So that's sort of how that happened. But yeah, it's kind of a, a random thing. Now you ended up going to college at the university of Missouri, correct? That's correct. What, what made you decide to go there? What made you decide to go from Massachusetts to going to school in Missouri? Well, I, I sort of applied to a bunch of places, knew I wanted to do journalism and for whatever reason, you know, when I was doing Google searches, you know, Missouri always popped up as one of the best journalism schools, which I didn't know at the time. I thought, you know, Northwestern Syracuse were kind of the nationally known ones, mm-hmm. uh, when I was applying for, for colleges, but that one kept popping up. So, you know, I applied to a bunch of schools. Um, I didn't get into Notre Dame, which is where my brother went. So 
at that point, you know, Mizzou was actually, you know, a really affordable option. I went to the campus and, uh, and I really liked it and sort of, I took a a bit of a gamble because, you know, as a high school senior, you think you want to do something, right? You think you know what you want to do for a living, what you want to major in, but there's always the risk that you're going to change your mind. And it wasn't really worth going to Mizzou for anything but journalism. Not to say it's a, you know, the business school and all that isn't good, but I could, you know, stay close to home and, and, you know, go to a state school if I was going to do, you know, anything else. But, um, I sort of took the gamble that I was going to stick with journalism and that that was going to be the place to be. And it ended up, you know, really paying off. I, I wouldn't change that for the world. Probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. So I got a little lucky. You don't, make very many good decisions as an 18 year old, but I got that one right. <laughs> now in 2012, you summer interned at NESN in Boston, correct? Yeah, that's right. How I, was that experience? It was, it was pretty good. Um, I, you know, a lot of my classmates were kind of getting these internships at the big, you know, newspapers. And the challenge I had was, you know, taking an internship somewhere outside of you know, where I grew up because, you know, paying rent and doing all that on an unpaid internship at some newspaper just wasn't a possibility for me. So, you know, that summer at Nesson, I was working usually the late night shift from like five to 1 a.m., you know, when Red Sox games was going on and mm-hmm. uh, some, I think the Bruins were in the playoffs that year, maybe the the Celtics as well. And you know, during the day I was cleaning pools, uh, swimming pools as, uh, the family business. It's, uh, my dad works for a pool company and cool. I clean pools from, I don't know, as long as I could remember. So that's how I made money. And then I went, did the unpaid internship at night and it was a long summer, but, uh, it was enough to kind of, you know, get a feel for a few different things. Cause they're a TV company primarily, but I was working on the website. So the following summer, I went to Comcast, uh, which is now NBC Sports Boston, I believe, and you know, kind of got even more of a taste for it. That was a better experience, I would say, than Nesson. Just the operation ran a little bit more smoothly, um, probably a bit, a bit bigger operation, I guess. Um, but those were the ones that I, I think I always appealed more to those places that were like doing web work than I did the traditional newspapers just because of some of my experience writing online and maybe lack of experience, you know, uh, with big time, you know, newspaper internships. Now, when you were in college, you also did stuff with the Columbia, Missourian and SB nation. A lot of people out there, sports writers, aspiring sports writers, they, they just don't get it. How we tell them how important was it for you to keep getting that experience while in school, honing your craft? Yeah, that was everything really for me. And, I, you know, I didn't have a high school newspaper at, uh, you know, where I went to high school. And so my knowledge of the journalism profession was kind of limited before I got to Mizzou. So, you know, I got there and my roommate was already working at the Maneater, the, the student newspaper. And I'm thinking, geez, I'm already behind. So, you know, the fact that I lived on a floor in my dorm freshman year with a bunch of kids who were kind of, you know, proactive about getting experience and they were all journalism majors, Mm -hmm. you know, it made me realize, okay, you know, I'm not going to be able to just 
come to school, go to class, get good grades and get a job. You know, you have to have a resume and some sort of clips and, uh, you know, published stories that, that are going to impress somebody. So that first year I worked at, um, the TV station in town, which was, um, you know, KOMU is like an NBC station doing some of their web work and seeing if TV was something that I wanted to do quickly found out it wasn't and got the wrestling beat at the Maneater, the student newspaper. Um, and that was my first taste of, okay, I, I really kind of don't know what I'm doing with some of this stuff and I need to, you know, continue to get this experience. So that's why Mizzou was so great because the Columbia Missourian is actually part of class. Uh, once you become a junior and you actually get into the journalism school, one of your classes, you know, basic reporting or whatever it is, is you get a, a job a, at that paper. And, you know, I applied for the sports section and, and got there and got to cover high school football out in mid-Missouri, which is, you know, they take it pretty seriously. It's not Texas or Florida or, you know, California level of, of players, but right. it's a big deal to those people. And I covered a really cool team. Uh, you know, Hickman High School had a really good year and, you know, got to cover some cool stories, got a feel for what it was like to kind of have a beat and own that beat, you know, being the only person that was was there, you know, every day hanging out at practice. And, you know, the coach would always tell me, you don't have to, you know, hang out at practice, but I, I kind of wanted to get used to it and and get a feel for, you know, really knowing the team really well. And I wrote a, a good story. I, I, I'll always remember there was a game between the crosstown rivals and I was in charge of writing the game story or whatever. And the next morning, Saturday morning, I got a call from the sports editor who I hadn't had too much interaction with um, on a one-to-one basis. And he like called me into his office. I'm thinking I screwed something up and that was going to be it for me, but he really liked it. And that's what sort of put me on track to get the football beat at Mizzou, which is sort of the, the end goal, sort of the the prize. If you know Robert Mays from Grantland, you know he was on that beat. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth Wickersham and Wright Thompson had that beat at one point. Joan Neeson from uh-huh. SI had that beat. So it was like from the time I was a freshman, I knew if you get the football beat at the Missourian, you're in good shape. You know you, you're covering a major, you know, beat for a daily newspaper. You're going to get the clips. It's that's given you an opportunity to set you up to succeed if you don't at that point if you don't do something with it it's on you yeah, so it's on you. you know to get there and and get that beat that was sort of the big the big moment and all the while you know like you mentioned i i was writing at sb nation just because i worked my way into a spot with them and bleacher report before them actually that i was getting paid not much but enough to pay my rent and you know start chipping away at some loans and stuff like that so that that, i was kind of it beat you know working at the the school cafeteria and it helped kind of you know i would do that that summer at ness and i was doing that i was working at sb nation and i was cleaning pools so uh anything to kind of pay the bills while i was you know getting some clips getting some experience and starting to you know figure out which way i wanted to go with all this so you get all this experience you know, you're starting to make a name for yourself. You graduate from college and you end up going to NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com after school. What was that process like? What what brought you there? Yeah, it was it was nerve wracking because I 
uh, I graduated and did not have a job when I, you know, was walking across stage to get my diploma. So I went, you know, I packed up my car and drove back to Massachusetts, you know, 20 plus hours and, you know, went back to cleaning pools for a little while because I needed to make some money. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I, I remember it was one of the first days I was home. My dad left me a note on the kitchen table after he left for work that said, get a job. He, he was just joking, <laughs> you know, just having fun. Right. Cause he knew I, I had probably sent out at that point, you know, more than 50 applications all over the country. It was, it was never a question for me of, you know, where I, you know, where I would go. I didn't really care. I mean, I got pretty far along in an interview process with the Lubbock Avalanche Journal uh, down in Lubbock, Texas, covering a little bit of high schools, a little bit of Texas Tech. I had an application out in Boise uh, where I was a finalist uh, for a, a job at the Idaho Statesman. I I think the Toledo Blade called me back at one point. I mean, I was, I was kind of all over the place. And I it was shortly after I got home, I think one of the first days that I emailed my now editor, um, Hank and, you know, cause that job had been posted and it. At the time it sounded like something, usually an NFL job gets posted. And as a recent graduate, you're not thinking you have a real shot at it. Right. Especially since I didn't know anybody at, uh, the Syracuse paper. So, but the way they framed it was it was going to be a six month trial. They'd never covered the bills. If it worked out, they would keep doing it. And I think that turned off a lot of, you know, more experienced applicants because, you know, they, they're coming from spots where they have secure jobs. And so taking a chance on something like that didn't make a ton of sense. But for me, it made all the sense in the world. I mean, you know, go out to, to Buffalo and cover an NFL team. And worst case scenario is they decided it didn't work out uh, and it's not going to work for whatever reason. And I have a season's worth of you know, clips from covering the NFL to show somebody else. So, um, you know, they, I emailed my editor, my now editor, uh, and he emailed me back within, you know, less than an hour, uh, liked what he saw, wanted to get me on the phone. We talked for a while, went through a a few other phone interviews before I knew it. I was, you know, uh, driving out to, to Syracuse to interview and, you know, it all just felt like, a really good fit. I mean, uh, it, it was easy, an, an easy process once it got rolling because we agreed on a lot of things, you know, they didn't want to cover the team the same way everybody else was covering it. They didn't want to focus on the newspaper. They wanted to focus online and they felt like there was an opening to kind of, you know, do things a little bit differently, give readers something that they, they didn't have already. So, um, it was really attractive to me from that standpoint. And, um, it all kind of worked out once they, you know, they, they offered me the job. I packed my car up, moved out here like a week later and, uh, you know, found a, an apartment in Orchard Park and just kind of got to work. And I think it was that year they played the Dolphins on Thursday night football. Um, the day I got back from Miami, um, I got a call from the managing editor saying that they, they wanted to make it a permanent position. And, um, yeah, I've kind of, kind of hung out, hung out here ever since. <laughs> Want to hear a funny story that's completely true? Well, it's maybe it's funny to you. Actually, it wasn't funny to me at the time. I remember that job being posted. I was living in Buffalo at the time. And I remember Brent from Syracuse.com on Twitter posting about it. 
He followed me on Twitter. I sent him a DM to get details. He gave me the details. I applied completely, by the way, delusional out of my freaking mind. I was never going to get the job. I had a blog, but I remember that job being open. And I remember you getting hired. And obviously I didn't know who you were at first. I'm like, oh, who's Matt Fairmore? Sure shit learned down the road. You know, this guy's an incredible writer. But I remember that at the time when you first got hired. That was a job I wanted. I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only local blogger in town at that time who applied for it as well. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right, actually. It's funny that uh, after the fact, I found out, you know, a few, they talked to, you know, some people around here that are, uh, you know, pretty legit. And, uh, you know, I was like, I think over 300 people applied for the job. And like I said, I didn't have, you know, what's funny actually is a few months earlier, they posted about a Syracuse football beat writer job mm-hmm. and same hiring editor. I emailed and called and never heard anything. Wow. And a few months later, and now mind you, a few months later I had covered, uh, you know, Doriel Green Beckham getting arrested, uh, and Michael Sam coming out as gay at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and written a few, you know, NFL draft, you know, long form stories for SB nation and had a different cover letter. So I'd switched up a lot of stuff, but it's kind of funny that I don't even know if I've ever, if I've, I've always mean to mention it to my editor that like, Hey, I wasn't good enough for Syracuse football, but I was good enough for the bills. But it's it's funny how, you know, timing is everything. And, you know, sure. It's crazy to me. You know, he mentioned over 300 people applied for the job and, something whatever it was uh about you know my application stuck out but yeah you weren't the only one I, i've heard from other people after the fact that they had you know expressed some interest in the job and uh that's what makes it even crazier to me is just that you know i had applied so many places and it's such a weird industry to break into if you don't know somebody and you know even when you see people take new jobs and stuff like that so often it's, you know, you hear it through the grapevine and, you know, there's, you know, people opening doors for you. And I, it just so happened that I must've jumped out to my editor in some way because, uh, I had no previous connection to the paper. And, um, now it, it you know, feels like home. Those people over there have treated me so well and, uh, it, it just couldn't have worked out any better. So you graduate college in Missouri, go back home to work for a while while you look for a job, you land this job. And like you said, suddenly now you have to relocate to Western New York. Is it a long process for you to find a place to live and everything like that? And I know you settled in Orchard Park, but did you find something right away? Did you look around for a while? You just grabbed the first thing you you could get at the time. What was that process like for you going to a city that you really didn't know much of anything about and having to find a place to live? Yeah, I I literally grabbed one of the first places I saw, to be (laughs) honest, because I, so I had been you know, formally offered the job, but not, you know, written yet. So it was kind of weird. It was, it took a few weeks before I had, you know, pen to paper and it was for sure. They had offered it to me verbally, Mm -hmm. but they still needed to do background check and a few other things. And there was some hang up with my diploma because it was so soon after I graduated that, you know, they couldn't get confirmation of my diploma. So I had to add a, a pretty, uh, heated call with some folks over at Mizzou, like, Hey, I'm about to get a job and you guys are going to screw me if you can't get my diploma over here. So, um, once they finally, you know, everything was in writing, I had like a week to get out there. And so, you know, they wanted me out there on July 1st and I went and like I said, I'd never been there. I, it, it's on the way from where I live 
where I grew up to Mizzou. So I had driven, you know, through, but I didn't really know good spots to live or anything like that. So I figured, Hey, this is only guaranteed for the season. Uh, not anything beyond that. I'm going to live right near the stadium. And so, you know, I looked up where the stadium was, found the place that was really close and within my price range and called them up and, you know, they, they were good about it. I got there, looked at the place, signed the lease. And, uh, I actually moved, I, I think the U S was playing in the world cup that day. So I went around the corner to some bar and watched that came back, started moving some of my stuff in and Kiko Alonso tore his ACL. Uh, so it, it was that night that, um, you know, everything happened, uh, you know, or at least that the news came out. So that was sort of my, my first night on the job was sitting. I didn't have a, didn't have a couch, didn't have a bed. I was just kind of sitting there on an air mattress, uh, blogging about Kiko Alonso's knee. So that was how, that was my, uh, my first, uh, story, uh, for those guys. Sports and career aside for the moment. How do you like living in Buffalo? Or I should say Western New York now, cause you're in Orchard Park actually. But over the last couple of years, you've been here now for a while. How, how do you feel about the, the community? Have you gotten to come to embrace it some? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've, I've lived sort of all over now um, because I started in Orchard Park, uh, moved downtown on Elmwood for a little while, uh, met my now fiance, and we moved to, back to Orchard Park. Then we moved to the North Towns. Now we're back in Orchard Park. So I've kind of gotten a taste of everything and it's a, it's a really great place. I mean, uh, my fiance is from here, uh, grew up in Orchard Park. So, uh, she's got a lot of family close by and, you know, like we were talking about earlier, just the people that, uh, you know, follow this team and, and, you know, consume the coverage. It's like, you know, the passion here for sports is, is unmatched. And I, I grew up playing hockey. So, you know, I've always been a big, a big hockey fan and, uh, to have, an NHL team, you know, right here as well is really cool. And, you know, obviously I think most of us here would uh, prefer a little bit shorter winters. Uh, but <laughs> other than that, I think there's, there's just so much uh, the city has to offer and it's, uh, it's a really great place. I, I've, you know, I've, I think it offers a little bit of what, uh, you know, Massachusetts did and a little bit of what uh, Missouri did uh, kind of all rolled into one. And, uh, it's affordable, which I love. And there's just a lot of great things. I, I've met a lot of great people here and it really feel, it feels more like home than, uh, than Massachusetts does. That's for sure. I think Buffalo is one of those places where when you grow up there, you really don't appreciate it until you leave. Like I, me and my family, we moved to Florida about a year and a half ago. And over this last year and a half, I've really come to appreciate what Buffalo had that community feel. You can't get that in a lot of other places. Let me ask you one question here. I've asked Tyler this, and I've had Jay Skursky on. Tyler told me the story on how he uh, proposed to his uh, fiance. Now I found out how Jay Skursky met his wife. How did you meet? Without you don't have to spill all the dirt here, but how did you and your fiance first meet? We met uh, because of Joe Biscalia, actually. Really? Um, he was dating uh, his girlfriend, who he's still he's still dating, and um, she was friends with my fiance and. So he had invited me out or whatever, and, um, you know, they were all hanging out and that's sort of how it, how it happened. It was, uh, you know, it was pretty easy. Once, once we met, we met a couple times and, uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, instant, but it was, uh, you know, if it wasn't for, for Joe B, I, I, I may not have met her. So, um, 
it works out, you know, really well, obviously, because uh, they get along and, uh, you know, Joe and I obviously get along great. So, um, you know, we hang out a lot and, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was pretty, pretty simple, uh, not too, uh, crazy of a story, but, um, you know, it, it was some, I think bar crawl was the first time we met downtown and that's so uh, Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, this girl that w- lived probably, you know, right around the corner from me, uh, you know, when I first moved here, um, uh, you know, ends up, you know, being the girl I'm going to marry. So it was, uh, kind of cool. That's awesome. See, I feel like the Moran analytics podcast has broken exclusive here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you'll be the matchmaker. Yeah. You'll be the matchmaker. Now you've been covering the team for a few years now. You're still at least sort of new to this career, at least professionally. How long did it take you to get settled in? Like, do you ever, or did you ever feel a little overwhelmed by the magnitude of it all? I mean, it's one thing, you know, all the stuff that you've done before that, but now you're in the NFL locker room, you're covering NFL teams. You're talking to Tom Brady and guys like that after the game. Was it a little bit overwhelming at first or did your experience really help prepare you so that, you know what, this ain't that big of a deal? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I I guess there were times where the pace of it all and, you know, there's just a lot that's different about covering the NFL uh, compared to the SEC. Obviously, a year of covering Mizzou and the SEC really helped. And the fact that I had covered, uh, I think it was two or three NFL combines. Um, and I covered an NFL draft from radio city music hall. So, you know, kind of the magnitude of the events wasn't so much, uh, overwhelming as there's just a lot. Uh, I mean, when you sit down in the, the media room and, and Tim Graham's right there, you just know that, you know, the competitiveness of it mm-hmm. is kind of a little bit much. You're like, you know, how am I going to, compete with Tim Graham, who's been doing this forever, better than anybody else who does it. But, um, you know, you kind of quickly realize that at least here, and this is why I feel, you know, really fortunate that I landed here is that, you know, Tim Graham particularly, and and not just him, but other guys who cover the team, Mike Rodak, uh, you know, Jay is another one, Tyler, uh, Joe. I mean, these guys are really helpful. Uh, you know, you're all competing, but we're also all, you know, very friendly and, and hang out, uh, outside of this. So that, that was really helpful for me, especially coming here not knowing anybody. And, uh, there's just little things about the NFL. I mean, you're dealing with agents where as opposed in college, you're not really doing that. You mentioned you're in, you know, the locker room every day and the sec, you know, they don't have open locker room. So, you know, there's little stuff like that. Um, at times, to be honest, the magnitude of the games I was covering in the SEC felt bigger. Um, you know, an average NFL Sunday doesn't really compare to an average Saturday in the SEC. True. Just because, you know, uh, being down at Ole Miss when Mizzou played down there, uh, being at Georgia uh, when Mizzou played there, I mean, the atmospheres are kind of incredible. It, it definitely is um, definitely kicked up a notch from, say, you know, an average Sunday at MetLife Stadium, um, you know, when you're covering Bill's Jets. But Bill's home games kind of match that college feel a little bit. But so the magnitude of the games, I guess, maybe wasn't uh, overwhelming, but certainly the the day-to-day stuff, you know, you realize how, how little you know and how much you have to learn. And I'm still that way. There's so much I have to learn. I'm always picking guys' brains, whether it's Tyler, uh, 
you know, Tim, uh, as much as, you know, they're, they're willing to help and, you know, other guys in other markets that I can, can lean on for advice. And, you know, there's, there's just a lot that goes into it. it. It's a little bit simpler in college because there's not usually as much turnover at Mizzou. They had the same coach. They had, you know, a lot of the grad assistants are kind of your age. All these people that you're trying to, to work on for information are, you know, it, it's a little bit easier to read. Whereas in the NFL, there's a lot of layers to it. You know, there's the coaches, mm-hmm. there's uh, the GM and all the front office. There's all these agents, there's all these players and, uh, you know, most of them are grown men. So it's a little bit different game than, than college took a little bit of getting used to. And once you kind of figure it out, the rhythm of it, you know, is, is pretty, uh, pretty easy. Um, but at the same time, there's always those little challenges and, uh, it's still, you know, there's never a a moment when, you know, Tim's hanging around talking to somebody that I'm not thinking, you know, you know, feelings of dread over what he's working on and what he's going to kick my ass with next, you know, because (laughs) that's just what Tim does. I mean, he's, he's very good and not every market has, has a guy like that, but also not every market has a guy that that's as helpful as, as Tim is and as willing to kind of, you know, he's so willing to, you know, help people out and, um, sort of take, you know, be your friend and, and not be a, not be a jerk. So, uh, that definitely helped. And, uh, helped kind of the transition as I've I've gotten into covering the league here. Yeah, Tim could be combative on Twitter. We all know that. He's also one of the nice, most generous dudes I've ever met in my life. Seriously, he really is. Let me ask you this question. There's a line between being friends and colleagues and sometimes competitors. Like some of these guys, and you've mentioned it, you've become friends with. All of them are your colleagues at this point. And then, you know, in some cases, there's competition out there when it comes to getting a scoop or being the first one to score an interview with someone, you know, something along that lines. Is that like sometimes a difficult slope to navigate being buddies with these people, but at the same token, at least in some regards, some of the time, anyway, you are in competition with them. Yeah, it is weird because, you know, there are definitely times where it gets a little bit, you know, competitive, not nearly as bad here as in other markets. I mean, I've heard stories in other markets of guys that just, despise each other or you know got all these guys that cover the team that don't hang out or don't talk when they go in to work which is kind of crazy to me because we have a lot of fun over there at, mm-hmm. at one bills drive i mean just those three days hanging out covering the draft i mean a lot of laughs a lot of good times on the road we're all hanging out um there's certainly those times where you're towing a line right i mean you got you're competing with a guy and uh your your obligation is to your employer uh first obviously but I think, you know, too, there's just, um, uh, you know, you just have to learn to kind of toe that line a little bit. It's, it's a different job because, you know, for me, I don't have a, a newsroom, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I do, but it's two and a half hours away. So I'm there like once a year. Um, and for most people you go into work and the people you're sitting around are, are your colleagues and, you know, you become friendly with them, hopefully, uh, at times. And for me, it's like, well, I go in and it's like, these guys are my colleagues. They're also, you know, my competitors, but you know, they're my, they become your friends because I mean, you're going through, they are your coworkers in a way. I mean, you know, they're the, the closest thing you have at least. And, you know, same goes for, for the PR staff and, and things like that. You know, you become friendly with them, but to a point recognizing you both have a job to do. Uh, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, it's, it's like anything, there's a balance. I, I think we probably have, I would, 
I would have a hard time believing there's too many, you know, cores of beat writers around the country that, that get along the way, you know, we do in the Bills media room. I, I would think uh, we're on the, uh, the higher end in terms of, you know, having that sort of camaraderie, but it's definitely, uh, it makes it easier. Um, there are times where you got to compete and you got to do what you have to do, but I think we all understand that. And, uh, again, we all recognize too, that, you know, our job's pretty fun. You know, we get right. 10 times a year, we get to go on the road and, uh, you know, hang out in these different cities. And it's a lot more fun when you have, you know, people to hang with and, and have some fun with and people who understand what you go through. Cause not a lot of people understand what this job is, you know? Uh, they think it's, you, you show up at games and, you know, get paid to hang out and watch <laughs> football, but you know, there's the common struggles and, uh, you know, battles with agents that you can kind of relate to other people on. And, uh, it, it's helpful to have that for sure. Piggybacking off what you just said, I want to pull back the curtain a little bit here. As I mentioned before, there's plenty of aspiring NFL reporters out there right now. If you could, what's life like? covering a team on the road. Like, let's say for an example, this is Aaron on Thursday and let's pretend we're, it's during the season right now and Buffalo's playing in uh, Kansas city on Sunday. It's Thursday. What's the rest of this week, the process like for you as a beat writer for a team, you know, and including going on the road, what happens when you go on the road and you travel to Kansas city to cover that game? I mean, I don't want every minute detail of course, but in generally speaking, what's your next three to four days like? Yeah. So typically a Friday there's, you know, at least the way we do things that we have sort of our schedule for the week, you know, and a lot of it, you know, during the season is kind of, you know, cyclical, the same types of stories come out on, on Fridays or Saturdays. And, you know, you're kind of cramming to get those done, cramming to get done everything that you need for Sunday. But, uh, Friday you're, you're checking the injury report, doing all that there's still media availability on Friday. Sean McDermott talks, you go to the locker room, you get 45 minutes in the locker room and, you know, final injury checks, plug, you know, final, you know, interviews with guys, if you need quotes for certain things. And then it's, you know, getting that preview stuff ready. And, you know, it depends on the road trip, you know, sometimes if it's, you know, they're going to Nashville, my college roommate lives in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I might leave Friday night, you know, and, and crash with him and hang out with him or, um, you know, but they just went to Kansas city this year. So I think I had a 6am flight, got in around nine, uh, all the other guys were getting in later. So I did some work, caught up on, uh, some of my buddies that were writing for the KC star. So I pulled out the KC star and, and read some stories, took a nap, uh, had all my work done. So we went and you know, stuffed our face with barbecue and, uh, went to a few, a few bars that we had, uh, been to the last time we were in Kansas city. And, um, you know, then you're up the next morning getting ready to, to roll to the stadium. Usually I'll carpool with Rodak and Skursky, uh, usually Joe B depending on, uh, who's staying in what hotel, but we usually coordinate, um, you know, so that all of us are at the same hotel. Sully will, we usually have to book his for him. Uh, so he makes sure he's in the right place. Uh, and then, you know, you're depending again on where you are. I mean, sometimes we can get out on Sunday night, um, which is not bad. You know, I mean, Jay Skirsky and I have become sort of, uh, infamous on the beat for catching the, uh, spirit airlines flight that leaves 
Fort Lauderdale at like 11 at night and gets into Buffalo at like two in the morning. <laughs> uh, that's, that's become kind of our go-to, but other, if, if not that you're waking up Monday morning, you're probably catching the first flight out of whatever town. And, you know, because I think Sean McDermott usually talks at noon or one during the season and, you know, on Mondays and the coordinators talk after that. So it's at the quickest flight you can get to get you back in time for that. Cause you're going from the airport right to uh one bills drive to cover that, cover the coordinators probably right until five or six or seven at night. And, you know, all the while it's, you know, finding time, especially after the game, it's just finding time to, it seems like there's never enough time to write everything that you'd want to write. So, um, you know, basically Sunday morning to Monday night is a real, uh, is the real grind. I think of the week. I'd be remiss if I had you on my podcast and then at least talk about the Buffalo bills for a couple minutes. I've been trying to avoid it as long as possible. I wanted people to get to know you better, but I do have to ask you a couple bills questions here. Doesn't seem to be any in between when it came to the draft last week in regards to critics. It seems like either you loved it or you hated it. There wasn't much of an in-between. But Josh Allen, I know he wasn't your top guy, but and I'm using air quotes here. You don't consider him as much as a, of a project as others do, do you? Or maybe I'm no, wrong. I, yeah, I felt like uh, I had more of an in-between take on Josh Allen. And, you know, that's kind of the challenge sometimes with this job is there's always the uh, pressure to have an instant take and an instant, you know, it's either black or white. There's no, you know, gray area on so many things. But, I mean, I had been kind of following Josh Allen for a long time. Uh, you know, a good friend of mine who covered high school football with me, uh, at, at the Missourian, um, covers Wyoming now. And so I had sort of always been reading his stories and keeping tabs on Josh Allen. I was down at the senior bowl. I was down at the combine and, you know, I feel like I had studied him so long that I was pretty well aware of why the NFL liked him and why others didn't. And I sort of fell in between. It was like, yeah, this guy probably is worth a first rounder. If you have a good plan in place, if you're willing to develop him and, um, you know, put an offense in place that, that makes it, you know, makes it easier for him. Um, but you know, also recognizing that some of these other guys came a little bit more pro ready. Um, and, and maybe less so than that just came with less, thing or fewer things to correct. And I think with Josh Allen, you know, the reason I'm not, you know, as pessimistic, uh, maybe as others is that I just feel like there's more that he can do than people are giving him credit for. And, uh, you know, I think the arm and the offense he played in his ability to run, his ability to break tackles in the pocket makes it so that he should be on the field sooner rather than later. I, I think the, this idea of a project quarterback is a little bit of a myth at times because how many times do guys get to actually sit for a year? I mean, Patrick Mahomes got to do it last year, but even they got a little bit of a taste of what they had in him. And you just don't see it a lot, right? I mean, these days at this point, you know, you need to get some sense for what he is in 2018 and what he needs to work on. And then you need to, you know, really be able to build on that in 2019 because the salary cap's going to be in a really great spot heading into 2019. You'll probably have another 
reasonably high draft pick uh, to put around him. And at that point, I mean, look at what Jared Goff and Carson Wentz did in their second season. So there needs to be some expectation there that he takes, you know, that step. And I don't know that he can do that fully without having some experience under his belt in 2018. And I think the other thing that I keep coming back to is, I mean, man, if you pick a quarterback in the top 10 and he can't beat out AJ McCarron and Nate Peterman, I mean, yeah, why did you, you pick? Why you know? exactly? <laughs> you know, why'd you pick him that high? I mean, so I think you live with some of the mistakes and you get him out there because he's a guy that is going to create some big plays for you with his legs. He's going to create some big plays for you with his arm. And if you put the right, if you trust your coaches to put together game plans and put together an offense that, that fits his skill set, then, you know, the, sure, he may be a little bit of a project. He may take some time to develop, but that's every quarterback. And I think the, the playing experience is very valuable. And if you trust the work you did uh, in terms of him as a person and, you know, him as, as a thinker and, uh, you know, him being able to overcome things. I've always been of the belief that if a guy can't overcome having a rough start to his career or a rough rookie season, then mentally he just wasn't going to make it in the NFL. I mean, all the best quarterbacks went through growing pains and being able to handle that, having the confidence and the self-esteem to be able to work through that is a big part of being a franchise quarterback. So as long as their evaluation checked out from that standpoint, I see no reason why he can't get on the field at some point in 2018. You would think that even the most optimistic point of view here with him getting on the field earlier probably wouldn't come in that first month of the season just because the way the schedule is set up. I mean, even if he looked really good in summer in camp, you're talking you're at Minnesota early. Um, they start, what, at Baltimore? I know they play at Green Bay. I'm forgetting someone else. San Diego, that's their first four games. You look at the schedule and you see like week five at home against Tennessee. Maybe if all things go great, you think maybe somewhere around that time, even if, again, the most optimistic point of view, that may be where Bills fans get their first regular season taste of the sky, bar an injury, of course. Yeah, I mean, I I might go as far as to say the most optimistic point of view is this guy's starting out of the shoot. I mean, Brandon Bean said the other day, if he wins the job, he wins the job. And the line he said that kind of stuck out to me was, you know, there's 52 other guys on the field. And if they see that he's the best quarterback in the preseason, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. You know, you wouldn't do that at any other position. So I think it might be a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a battle because I don't know that Sean McDermott's going to be as eager to hand the, the keys over to a rookie quarterback. So you might be right in that, you know, five week, uh, week five projection, just because, uh, you know, I don't know that they're going to be super eager uh, to throw him out there if he's not ready, but it's so hard to say without seeing him on the field. I feel like we'll get a taste pretty early of, okay, yeah, this guy has a long way to go. Or, you know, he makes some plays in the preseason that have you saying, ah, maybe he's farther along. Because remember, the Eagles were sitting there thinking they were going to sit Carson Wentz. And then, you know, he played well in the preseason and they felt comfortable trading away Sam Bradford yeah. to get him in the lineup. Yeah. So, you know, Jared Goff took a little bit longer. So, it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint, but you're right. That early part of the schedule isn't super uh, friendly for a rookie quarterback or for any quarterback for that matter. But, uh, you know, so much will depend on there's so much unknown because we've never really seen A.J. McCarron play too extensively, uh, you know, in the NFL. I've gone back and watched a, a bit of what he did in Cincinnati, but you don't know too much about him. 
haven't seen Josh Allen on the field uh, in an NFL offense. So it's going to be really interesting. I feel like we'll know pretty quickly which one of these guys is a little bit more prepared and a little bit more ready than the other one. Were you surprised? I mean, you've spent months getting to know all these players in the draft, studying them and stuff. When he got to be pick 16 and Tremaine Edmonds is still on the board and Buffalo moved up, were you a little surprised, A, that he was even available and B, that Buffalo moved up and got him? Yeah, I was a little surprised that he was available. I think that was about the bottom end of his range. Uh, I think, you know, it's been out there now that the Chargers would have taken him and then the Cowboys probably would have taken him if not the Chargers. So I think it was, it, it hadn't really crossed my mind that they would trade up again because they kept that 22nd pick. Mm-hmm. And part of me thought, you know, they're not going to want to give up more assets. But really, they only gave up the third round pick that they got in the Tyrod Taylor trade. So that kind of worked out. Uh, for them. But Edmonds is such a a unique player that it was going to take somebody, you know, willing to take a chance on a younger kid. Uh, But there were people that had him right there with Roquan Smith. I thought he was going to come off the board at number 10 to the Raiders. Uh, I had a scout, you know, text me saying, man, you know, Edmonds just fell into Gruden's lap and then Gruden passed on him by trading back. Then he was sitting there at 15 and I'm sure the Bills thought the same thing. Oh, right. they're, now they're going to get Edmonds again. And they didn't. So, <laughs> I mean, it made sense for the Bills to jump up and, and get them because that helps soften the blow of not having second round picks when you can land two guys, you know, that you would have been comfortable taking at 12 uh, to get both of those guys in the first round is a definite, uh, you know, definite plus. And it, it helps you feel a little bit better about the fact that you didn't have a second round pick because, you know, you're sitting there saying, well, you know, we still got uh, our quarterback. We got a linebacker that, and look, I know everybody says he's 19 years old, turns 20 tomorrow or Thursday, something like that. Uh, he's going to be a leader from the second he walks in the door. Uh, everything I've heard about him is that he is just a rock solid dude. The guy that everybody in the locker room is going to want to follow. And, you know, a guy that will change the attitude of your defense. So I would expect this guy to not only be on the field early, but to be a, a leader and somebody that, you know, everybody else is kind of, you know, waiting on to set the tone because he's that type of player. I, I think they got a really, really good steal there. Now, the last two rookies that I want to talk about with you, and admittedly, I had a very narrow-minded attitude towards these picks because, you know, like a lot of people, I'm like, oh, God, man, why don't you take a tackle? Why don't you take a wide receiver? I, again, I don't know a lot about Harrison Phillips or Teron Johnson, but as I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? The third defensive tackle on a team, and especially a nickel corner, those are two very underrated roles because you don't think starter. But essentially, especially at that nickel corner, when you're in a nickel, probably what, maybe a half to two-thirds of a game, that guy's pretty much, he is a starter. Not saying that he's going to be a starter, but that position itself. So as it kind of like sunk in a little bit, I'm like, all right, these are very sensible selections. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, due time that we start considering the nickel cornerback spot a starter in the NFL because, you know, like you said, usually two-thirds of the game you're in nickel. And if you don't have a guy that can play that position, you're in a lot of trouble. And in Sean McDermott's defense in particular, you know, they do some different things with the nickel spot. You know, they had Shaq Thompson in Carolina play sort of that big nickel role where he could play a little bit of safety. He could cover tight ends in the slot. He could even play sort of a strong side linebacker type of deal. Uh, and that's where Saran Neal 
you know, the other, because everybody said, why did they pick a safety? Mm-hmm. Well, Saran Neal can kind of move around and play if you need him to strong side linebacker in the nickel or play that bigger nickel role when a tight end is lining up in the slot. So you'd need to have a lot of defensive backs in the NFL. And Sean McDermott is really good at evaluating them and really good at developing them. So, you know, when they took Taron Johnson off the board, uh, you know, to be honest, not a guy I'd heard a lot about, but you read the scouting reports and says, you know, that he's a a guy that can play nickel and he can tackle. And those are two things that they were really looking for. You know, Sean McDermott puts a huge, huge, uh, you know, priority on guys that can tackle in the secondary because he even said it's a, kind of a lost art for defensive backs, especially corners. So I, I think after they lost Leonard Johnson, you know, Philip Gaines is decent, but there's a reason he was available for the price he was available at. I think they needed a nickel cornerback. And, you know, you mentioned offensive tackle and wide receiver. I got the sense all during the pre-draft process, they were a lot more comfortable with the offensive line and the wide receivers than anybody, uh, you know, outside was. And I, I agree with you. I, I was kind of thinking, you know, you on the outside, you look and you're like, you lose Richie Incognito and Eric Wood, you probably need an offensive lineman. Yeah, or, right. You know, the fact that the wide receivers did so little last year that you'd need a receiver, but they've always felt a little bit more comfortable there. And, you know, Brandon Bean mentioned that, you know, they, they don't, they didn't view this wide receiver class, uh, you know, very highly, uh, after Christian Kirk went off the board, there was a big drop off in their rankings. So they kind of stuck true to the board and Harrison Phillips. I mean, that was a guy I wrote about him down at the senior bowl and, and Sean McDermott and I had a few good conversations about him down there because, uh, you know, when I was talking to him, it was just like, man, this guy's a perfect Sean McDermott guy. Uh, and, uh, it, that turned out to be true just because of the value they got. But, uh, you know, a guy that plays with nonstop effort, you know, had over a hundred tackles from the nose tackle position. Uh, they love to have a rotation on the defensive line and that's so important to them. And so he can play a little bit of one technique and maybe they develop him into a three technique to play behind Kyle Williams. And at the very least, he's a body that they can rotate through that. You're always going to have, you know, constant effort from, and, He's got a lot of skills that translate to their defense. So this ended up being sort of a defense draft for them after they got their quarterback, which sort of factors into the conversation of, you know, do you throw Josh Allen in right away with this, this offense? Mm -hmm. But uh, the defense, I think actually has a chance to be quite a bit better than it was a year ago, just given the fact that they got Bonte Davis, they got Trent Murphy, Starlow to Now they have Tremaine Edmonds and uh, Taron Johnson could step in as a nickel and, so Rand Neal could give them sort of the flexibility to use some different packages on defense. If, if everybody stays healthy, I think the defense could take a pretty big step forward this year. One more Bills thing, and then we'll wrap this up here. Regardless of how anyone would feel about Josh Allen, whether they love him or hate him, and you know maybe they wanted Rosen instead, regardless of all that, are you impressed that Bean was able to move up not once, but twice in this draft? while still being able to keep 22, well, which ultimately he moved up to 16 for, but didn't give up anything for 2019 at all. He got to keep all of his picks. Did that surprise you a little bit? If if you would have said, if someone would have told you before this draft that the Bills are going to trade up twice and they're not going to touch a 2019 pick next year, would you have been a little surprised or was this something that you kind of expected? Yeah, it was a little surprising. I think if you go back to the senior bowl, 
I remember going down there and, and that's when I really started to sink my teeth into the, the draft, you know, quite a bit. Um, and I just thought, I even mentioned it to Brandon Bean. It's like so much was out of their control because when you're sitting at 21 and 22, you're just in a, a really tough spot because you're not, you know, in, not too many teams are going to want to move down that far in the order. And so usually you have to give up a future pick to get, right. you know, that far up. And, you know, the Cordy Glenn trade was sort of the creative piece that helped it all, you know, fit together. And look, they may not have touched 2019, but they definitely gave up some assets in the process. I mean, yeah, you give up Cordy Glenn, you give up Tyrod Taylor, you give up Sammy Watkins, Ronald Darby. I mean, there were some guys that they had to sell off to make this happen. But the point is that now they're in a spot where they got their quarterback, argue about them all you want. They got their quarterback, they got their linebacker, and they have a full draft next year. They had a full draft this year with eight picks. Really, they only missed out on the second round. And, you know, they're in a spot where they're eating a ton of dead money this year, but 2019 looks really good for the salary cap. So I think they're doing a really good job since they got here. I mean, they bought themselves a lot of time by, you know, getting to the playoffs this year when a lot of people didn't expect that. I think they bought themselves some goodwill and some patience in the fan base. So even if they take a step back in 2018, uh, there's that trust built up. I'm not convinced that they're going to take a huge step back just yet in in 2018. I want to see how this team looks on the field. But like we just mentioned, the defense looks a lot better. And they won games with their defense last year. I mean, it's not like the offense did much for them a year ago. So, sure, maybe the offense takes a step back, but they scored, what, three points in that playoff loss. So, you know, how much worse can the offense really get uh, from what it was? I mean, obviously, you hope LaShawn McCoy stays healthy and and that, you know, the offensive line holds up enough for, for him to still do what he does. But I think there's a potential to create even more big plays in the passing game when Josh Allen gets in there just because of his arm and his willingness to take chances. So uh, even if they do take a step back, they're set up for 2019. But I I'd tell people to pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, writing off the 2018 season because this time last year, everybody thought the Bills were going to go 4-12 and 12 and be picking at the top of the draft order. But the AFC isn't very good. You know, I mean, what team in the AFC really scares you outside of New England? I mean, you played the Jaguars within, you know, a a touchdown there. And, you know, that's a team that looks pretty good to to repeat. But they got Blake Bortles as their quarterback. Andrew Luck is, you know, up in the air. Deshaun Watson's up in the air health wise, uh, you know. And so the schedule's not super easy, but last year's wasn't either. So if the defense takes a step forward, maybe this team is right in the mix. And and that's a credit to Brandon Bean. Uh, not too many general managers would trade away the players he did to get the assets that he did. And because he did that, he was able to package picks together to make sure he had a normal draft this year. And they're going to have a, the ability to have a normal draft next year. Uh, and that's, that's a huge plus because his boss in Carolina, Dave Gettleman has not been very good at that. Uh, and this shows that, you know, Brandon Bean, you know, maybe has a little bit better understanding of of how valuable draft picks can be and how to move around the board to to get the value that you want. I lied. I got one more quick Bills question real quick here because it popped in my head when you were talking about some of these trades. Obviously, a lot of the trades they made, they they helped them for this year. 
But one deal, could you explain to me why they traded Reggie Ragland? Like, what didn't this staff like about him? Because he looks like he's going to be a pretty good player in Kansas City and feels like he could be a good player if he was still here in Buffalo. What's your take on why you think the Bills got rid of him? Yeah, that was a weird trade, right? I mean, of all the yeah. trades, you, you didn't get too, too much for him. But I think, you know, he was never an ideal fit in a 4-3 defense. And I think they were a little hesitant on how the knee was coming along uh, just because, you know, he, he wasn't getting a ton of reps at all uh, right. in, in training camp. And it, it was always a question of, you know, and that was always the answer was like, oh, you know, we're easing him along because of his knee. But it, it felt like a hint that he wasn't a long term fit. And, you know, that's one that's a little bit tough to explain that maybe the the best explanation is the simplest one that he didn't fit into the four three defense and fit the athletic profile that they look for at that position. And they wanted to get faster. Um, but even then, you know, he felt like a decent depth piece on a rookie deal that you could keep around. But I think they were looking for any player that didn't fit their long-term vision that still had value. And obviously his value wasn't sky high, but it was, it wasn't getting any higher with him not being on the field. So they got what they could. And at this point, there's not too many guys left on the roster like that, right? right. A lot of these guys are their guys. The only ones left would be, you know, Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson, maybe John Miller, but you know, the only guys that would have value would be maybe Shaq or, or Jerry or Adolphus Washington. But even then you're probably not getting high picks for anybody besides maybe Jerry, maybe Shaq Lawson. So maybe we'll see the the trades calm down a little bit this offseason. Okay. With each guest, as I wrap up, I like to do a little quick mini lightning round. Just going to ask you a handful of questions, random, like human interest questions and just pop up whatever answer comes to your mind first. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Favorite athlete growing up whose name's not Randy Johnson because you spoiled that earlier. <laughs> Favorite athlete growing up who's not Randy Johnson <laughs> or Matt Williams. Or Matt Williams. Nope, uh, no Matt I would probably go with, I'll probably go with Eric Lindros. Uh, I, he was the reason I started following the Flyers. Uh, and, you know, he was always really fun to watch uh, between him and, uh, you know, John LeClaire, you know, the guys they had. At the time, I, I was always a, a big fan of him. Um, I'd probably go with Eric Lindros, uh, but that's a tough one. It was, it was definitely Randy Johnson uh, as things went on. Uh, he was just, he was appointment viewing for me. I was a big Barry Bonds fan as well. Uh, I had some weird athletes that I followed. <laughs> Since getting the Buffalo Bills job as a reporter, who's been your favorite athlete to interview? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I would say, hmm. That's probably Brandon Spikes. Uh, I, I always really enjoyed my talks with Brandon Spikes. He's a guy that, you know, he's just always so thoughtful and sort of introspective, um, kind of a rarity. Uh, you know, a guy that's willing to sit there and talk with you about a ton of random subjects. Uh, and that that was always pretty cool. He was kind of a go-to for me. I loved Nikel Roby, Booby Dixon. Uh, a lot of those guys were were fun from that first team. I always just, I guess I just remember a lot of those guys because they were, you know, the first guys that I got to cover and, and they were, uh, they were definitely fun because, you know, maybe, maybe not as many people were going up to them and maybe that's why they were willing to have such good chats. But, um, I, I feel like I had some of my best conversations in the locker room with Brandon Spikes and Mikel Roby. While this scenario would really suck, 
if the government would have forbade you from having a job working in sports in any capacity, what do you think you would have wanted to do with your life? Uh, it's a good question. I I think about that sometimes is like, you know, what else? Because the reason I went into this was like, I, I didn't have much of an interest in, you know, all the other subjects in school. I was okay at them. I just didn't really like them. I feel like uh, there's a decent chance I would have ended up being a teacher. Um, my mom was a teacher and it was always something that, and still does to some extent, kind of appeal to me. Um, you know, I, unlike a lot of people, I didn't dislike school. I kind of enjoyed it. So I feel like uh, I could have, you know, done something in that, that realm or there's always the possibility of, I don't know, I'm kind of endlessly fascinated by the, uh, the, the Silicon Valley world, the, the tech entrepreneur world. So I don't know, maybe I, I would have been bold enough to try my hand at something like that, but I'd say odds are I would ended up being a teacher. What's your favorite non-sports related thing to do nowadays? My favorite non-sports related thing that I do nowadays. Yeah. Like what, what do you, what do you like doing? It has nothing to do with sports. Um, probably hanging out with my dog, uh, and my fiance, we've spent a lot of time, you know, going on hikes and, uh, taking him to the, the dog park. He's just a year old. So he's, uh, he's takes up a lot of my time, uh, and, um, patience, I would say, uh, th but that's probably something that, uh, you know, I love doing that. We love to travel. Uh, we were recently in San Diego, anything at where I can get outside, uh, and, you know, kind of enjoy, uh, especially a day like today, it's actually nice out, uh, you know, and actually enjoy, enjoy the weather and, um, you know, and get some activity. I, I like, uh, I like staying active as much as I can. And, um, you know, that's one of my favorite ways to do it. Favorite city so far that you've covered an NFL game in. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, it's funny. I, every time I'm on the road, I'm always thinking, you know, uh, thinking of that, uh, that question of, of which ones have been my favorite LA. It was the first time I'd been out in LA. So I had a lot of fun, um, out there. Um, not necessarily my favorite stadium situation or anything like that, but I really like California. I'd never been to California before, before I took this job. So, um, it was a lot of fun to get out there and, and see some of the different spots. Seattle was pretty cool. Uh, usually it's, if it's somewhere I've, I've never been in somewhere different. Uh, those ones always stand out. I mean, I love Chicago and I love, uh, you know, Miami and things like that. But, um, you know, when it was places that I hadn't been like California and, and Seattle, it was pretty cool. Denver would probably make the cut uh, for the top of the list as well. Cause that one was, that's a memorable one from, from my rookie season on the beat. Last couple of questions here. What's probably the most played song in your iPod or whatever music device that you use? What's one of the most played songs in your rotation? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm trying to think what I've been listening to lately because I haven't. Uh, Vance Joy's new album is one that I've listened to quite a bit. Okay. Um, and I'll plug uh, I'll plug my college roommate because he's coming out with an album. And I actually... Uh, he's probably who I've been listening to most. Um, flip Rushmore is the name of, of his band. They're coming up. They've dropped like three or four singles on their new album. And, uh, I've probably been playing him, uh, more than anyone else while I've, uh, been writing lately. And, um, you know, been, uh, usually that, or I'll listen to, um, probably most listened on my, on my phone would be either Joe Rogan's podcast or Tim Ferriss's podcast. I listen to those, um, almost every episode. 
I just thought of something. When you're banging out a long story, are you are you the guy who who likes silence when you write, or do you like to have some music in your ears or the TV on or something like that? How do you like to do your your uh, your long form writing? Sometimes I'll I'll listen to a little bit of music if I kind of get stuck into a a little bit of a rut, but usually. I prefer silence. I'll randomly turn on like a, like a movie soundtrack. Cause there's not, you know, words uh, and right. lyrics and you know, that'll kind of help. Um, but usually only when I get stuck, most of the time I prefer if it's, you know, a, a silence and can kind of keep my head clear. Usually do a lot of good work either early, early in the morning, like, you know, 6am or, or later at night if I'm up against a deadline. Second last question here. If Twitter sent you a message and Twitter said, yo, Matt, we're racing all the people you follow except one. You're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one only. Who do you think it would be and why? Uh, I've thought about this, actually, because I've thought about just doing it myself to make Twitter a little bit easier to deal (laughs) with. Uh, I would... (laughs) It would be a tough call. I would probably go with John Boyce uh, from SB Nation because his Twitter feed I always probably 95% of his tweets make me laugh out loud. And so um, it would probably be him. Uncle Chaps would be close. Uh, he would he would get some serious consideration from me for the same reason because he's always uh, cracking me up. Uh, yeah, but he's funny. those are those are the two that kind of you know. Um, I I have a list of like, I think 10 accounts that I follow that I have on TweetDeck. uh, And it's a few that are like essential for my job. And then it's those two just because they make me laugh. And um, if, if I had my way, that's what I would use Twitter for. I wouldn't use it for uh, all the other stuff. I would just use it for the, the people that crack jokes and make me laugh. And I think, I think if it were one Twitter account to end them all, it would be, uh, it would be John boys. Okay, last question here. If you could have over any three dinner guests right now from anywhere in the world, if they can come to your house tonight and have dinner, who would you want? That's a good question. Um, I would probably pick uh, my dad and my brother as two because um, I don't get to see them as often as I'd like. Um, And, you know, them living uh, back in Massachusetts, Anytime I could get, you know, those two guys, you know what I would probably do is I would want them two and my dad's dad, who I never met. Um, he passed away when I was one or two. Um, and I feel like that would be a, a fun time to get to know him. It sounds like he was pretty awesome. And, you know, to get to spend some time with, with my brother and my dad, who I don't get to see, um, you know, as often as I used to, uh, that'd probably be my choice. I mean, I don't, I, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head, you know, famous people and things of that nature. So I'd probably rather just uh, take advantage of some time with, with family. That's a great answer. All right, guys, Matt Fairborn. I'm telling you, man, one of the real risers out there in a the sports writing game. I really do. I love your work and the podcast that you do with Joe. It's incredible. If you haven't listened to it yet, get out from that rock that you live under Get into listening to podcasts. I know there's some of the people out there who who don't really understand podcasts and how they work. You got to change because you need to listen to this podcast. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. We we did this for quite a while. I had John for over an hour. I stole you away on a nice sunny day. I apologize for that, but I really appreciate your time. Meant a lot for me to have you on the show. 
No, I really appreciate you having me and taking an interest in what I do and saying all those nice things. I mean, uh, uh, it, it means a lot. It's very, uh, very flattering, uh, to hear that and, to to have, you know, you take an interest in me seeing some of the other people you've had on the show. It's, uh, kind of, kind of cool to, to follow in their footsteps here. So thanks for having me. I'm happy to do it anytime. <laughs> All right, that'll wrap up this episode. Big thank you to Matthew Fairborn from NewYorkUpstate.com and also co-host of the Bills Beat Podcast for coming on and doing this show. I'll tell you what, man, I've done 17 of these now and Matthew Fairborn might have been my favorite interview yet. Really engaging guy, great storyteller, really good at getting points across. Had a great time talking to him, really appreciated his time. Coming up on Monday's show, I have co-founder, maybe I should say godfather, if you will, of the Bills Mafia, and of course, 26 Shirts. I'm talking about Del Reed. Going to give you fans a little history lesson on the Bills Mafia, the origins of it, because some people don't know about it. We're also going to talk about his 26 Shirt venture that has helped raise nearly a half million dollars for people in need. Of course, we're going to talk about the Bills and other stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to having him on the show next Monday. Guys, if you haven't done it already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this podcast right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a nice, fun, safe weekend. Happy Cinco de Mayo to all those celebrating on Saturday. Take care. Talk to you guys on Monday. Peace. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com/safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.